Uh, yeah, back to my place that I've always, almost always been. Close to 30 years of my life here, WABC, always broadcasting, Curtis. I'm on today from 2 to 4. Uh, and then tomorrow, an extended extra hour with Chris Hahn, Battle of the Right and the Left. That'll be on from 3 to 5. And then I believe I'm on from 9 to 1, although that's always subject to change. And I'll be uh, going solo. But the subject matter we're going to be discussing today is Kyle Rittenhouse, the jury decision. And a lot of people were anticipating that there would be rioting, looting, and shooting. And I said, hey, come on. No way. (laughs) You're missing the dynamics here. Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot and kill or wound a black man or a black woman. Big difference. Big difference in the minds of everybody. It's like uh, when I was a kid years ago growing up in Canarsie, East New York, Brownsville. If you had a fight in the street between a black and a white, everybody came out. Blacks came out. Whites came out. If it was just two whites fighting, eh, two blacks fighting, eh. But you had the racial dynamic, which is like a TNT charge, like nitroglycerin being ignited. And that's always when it involves white versus black or black versus white. And that just was not the case here. So naturally, you had more media people in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We're going to talk about Kenosha tomorrow night because uh, very little, if any, attention has been given to the background, the history. And some key people were born and raised and birthed in Kenosha on the way to Milwaukee from Chi-Town, Chicago. We'll talk about that tomorrow night. Because it gives you some uh, depth, some understanding of what that town is like. But if you look yesterday, there were more media there than there were demonstrators. Those who were there and supporting Kyle Rittenhouse, those who were there supporting Black Lives Matter and vilifying him. Well, I think it's clear to say that when you look at everything that's come down the pipe and everything has been pretty public about Kyle Rittenhouse, he's neither a hero nor a heel. Neither a hero as some have made him out to be, or a heel, as others have made him out to be. But whereas there were no-show riots and demonstrations and gatherings uh, last night in Kenosha, minimal gathering in Chi-Town, about 90 people, and then you look to Portland, Oregon, where it is always riot de jour, they always have to have a reason to riot because they're usually out in the streets you know, Antifa, like every day, having some kind of riot. It could be over the uh, the fact that they didn't get cream in their coffee instead of milk. So they had their nightly riot. And here in New York City, whenever you want to go to a staging area where there's a demonstration of some type or another, it used to be uh, 14th, Square, 14th Street, Union Square Park in Manhattan, or Washington Square uh, Park in Greenwich Village, no longer. You go to Barclays Center, Atlantic Avenue, and that's that's where the rabble-rousers were yesterday. They were gathering up. In fact, I believe there were more Net fans going to see the Nets game than there were actually demonstrators. But they started with their chants as they were moving, talking about burning the precinct to the ground. Every city, every town, every city, every town, every city, every 
Not difficult to memorize uh, for those who, with limited intelligence, just repeating to themselves, even when they're sitting, uh, sleeping. Uh, every city, every town burned the precinct to the ground. Well, they didn't try to burn any of the city precincts down last night, but that's their battle cry. That's typical of them. And if given the opportunity, they will try. And sometimes they're successful, like they were in Minneapolis. After the death of George Floyd, which uh, was back in like June of 2020 or the last day of May, I forget exactly the day. And then you know what happened all over America in large urban areas, small urban areas like Kenosha, like other cities. Uh, There were riots, looting, demonstrations, all kinds of gathering, depending on the situation. And Kenosha was one of them. You know, there was Louisville, there was Chi-Town. It was Madison. I I could go through a whole panoply of different cities that had different demonstrations, some of which led to rioting and looting, others that remained civil. But it was like nonstop. It was continuous. And then all of a sudden, Kenosha took place. And uh, in the words of the demonstrators who gathered uh, at Barclays Center yesterday on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, uh, they went to the old mantra, whose streets are streets. Well, if you looked at Brooklyn lately, it's really not your streets or our streets because you got all these uh, restaurants with these Quonset huts out in the streets. You could land a 747 in them. Uh, and then you have all the bicycle lanes. So it's like, what are you going to do? Kick the bicyclists off and say, whose streets are streets? Wait a second. You got Pee Wee Herman there battling with you with their 10-speed English racer. No, no, no. (laughs) The way they've divided up the streets of the five boroughs, it doesn't appear to be anybody's streets anymore. And then, naturally, uh, they reverberated to the old Al Slim Shady Sharpton uh, mantra from the uh, National Action Network, no justice, no peace. Wow, they got these all memorized. It's sort of like uh, when, whenever it's time to hit the streets, the anarchists, the socialists, the communists, because they're the ones uh, most active in demonstrations, small groups, but when put together, they can be pretty sizable. They had a few hundred people there. And then the leader of the pack, this African-American guy, big guy, uh, and he had sort of blonde highlights uh, to his hair was screaming about how this is all due to capitalism. It had all to do with capitalism. Because they understand how powerful people are when they come together to tear down capitalism. Because that is what we are here for, to tear down capitalism. To do it with black lives. What the hell did Kyle Rittenhouse shooting three people, two dead, one injured, and a subsequent trial to that effect have to do with capitalism? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> you, you see, you have your mantra, and you got to stick to your mantra, but sometimes you got to realize, hey, you know, it doesn't apply to this. What the hell does that have to do with capitalism? Now, tomorrow night, we'll talk about Kenosha when it was a capitalistic engine of America, the mini Detroit where they used to produce a lot of cars, a lot of cars, no more. 
Uh, but back in the uh, 80s, uh, before the demise of the big automobile dealers there, because Lee Iacocca shut them all down to save Detroit, uh, I guess you could make that article uh, argument. It was the epicenter of capitalism in America. Little old Kenosha, Wisconsin, population 150,000, between uh, Chi-Town, Racine, and if you go north, Milwaukee, and then eventually Madison. Anyway, our number is one 800 848 and there were demonstrators from uh, the uh, anarchist group Black Block uh, who decided to go into Middle Village, Queens, Glendale last night. Uh, in the next hour, we'll talk to uh, Councilman uh, Robert Holden about that. What the hell was Black Block doing in Middle Village, Queens? Uh, I mean, I didn't know that was the epicenter of Kyle Rittenhouse support. I didn't see any Kyle Forever banners in Middle Village. What were they doing there? Oh, they were desecrating cars and actually uh, breaking American flags, tearing them down, and who knows, shredding them up, burning them. We'll get that update from Councilman uh, Bob Holden. And actually all the politicians from all different sides jumping in and just like screaming, hooting, and hollering. Some of them on the right saying that, oh, yeah, Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero. Others on the left saying, oh, he's a heel. And then they're using terms like uh, vigilante and militia group, of which I've been accused of uh, being for many years. I've had uh, articles written, uh, a documentary written, uh, the claims that I'm the world's biggest vigilante. Some have said I run a militia group, the Guardian Angels, in 13 countries, 130 cities. And then others were saying that Kyle Rittenhouse was just there like a patriot with his AR-15 trying to protect property that was being vandalized the looting that was going on because law enforcement was like MIA, which they were. And we're going to go through the timeline of all that, and we're going to discuss all of that because it was in the aftermath of the police shooting of Jacob Blake. That's back on August 23rd of 2020. And Jacob Blake um, was having a domestic problem. I don't know if it was his wife. I don't know if it was his girlfriend. But it was definitely baby mama drama going on. He had three of his kids with him. Uh, there was some kind of domestic dispute at the apartment. He had already had out an outstanding warrant for his arrest, which included a uh, charge of sexual assault, sexual harassment by this woman. And... Uh, uh, although the police responding to the 911 call, the domestic dis- dispute call, did not know that, that there was an outstanding warrant at that time. It ended up that Jacob Blake uh, came out of the apartment, uh, had a dispute with the cops. Uh, the cops claimed uh, that they had shot him with tasers twice. And then one cop shot him seven times because he wouldn't stop. And apparently he was reaching under the floorboard of the vehicle that he had the kids in uh, where there was a knife Supposedly, he acknowledged that he had. Anyway, that sort of uh, issue is no longer as prominent as it was initially because that was the trigger for what were nights of rallies, of uh, gatherings that led to riots and attacks on police and attacks on property and arson and theft. That was August 23rd. Then they had their first rallies and marches on the night of August 24th. And then August 25th was the big one as militia groups uh, came into Kenosha, as they said, to defend property that had been vandalized uh, and destroyed and stolen the night before. 
And uh, also when Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other left-wing groups were pouring in from Chicago and Madison and Racine. uh, And uh, the few were actually there from Kenosha uh, and Milwaukee. Uh, and so the ranks were swelling on all sides. And you have to say to yourself, okay, August 23rd, I get it. The black guy is shot seven times by a cop. And anybody with any knowledge or any common sense after Floyd gets killed in the streets of South Minneapolis at the start of June and all the problems that occurred thereafter would have said, you think we ought to mobilize the National Guard? I mean, this could really get out of hand. But, oh, no, no, the governor there, like the governor of Minnesota nearby when they burnt down the precinct in South Minneapolis, just was so slow, so slow. You would have thought preemptively they would have had the National Guard mobilized. They knew there was going to be double trouble, and yet they were slow to do anything, and the local cops were just overwhelmed, and the county sheriffs, some of them were real huckleberries, you know, high-fiving it with the militia. Oh, that was brilliant, right? <laughs> it looked like you were in tandem. But let's face it, anarchy prevailed. Chaos prevailed. And into this mix came Kyle Rittenhouse. And who was Kyle? Well, he's from a nearby town in Illinois, Antioch. What a name. you got to know the history of Antioch. <laughs> and he comes in. And a split family, mother and sisters, they live in Illinois, father, uh, stepfather, I believe, and others and friends, they live in Kenosha. And he's working in Kenosha. He is a lifeguard in there by pool, or even maybe Lake Michigan, I'm not sure, because the lake is right there. And he had an AR-15 that had been bought for him that was stored there in Kenosha, and then everybody going on, oh, yeah, you see, his mother drove him there from Kenosha, uh, excuse me, from Antioch to Kenosha, across state lines with an illegal gun. Well, it wasn't illegal, and she didn't drive him, <laughs> and he already had the gun stored there, and he had a legal right to have the gun. Hey, look, that's Wisconsin's laws. Wisconsin, which at times can be very left-wing, they've elected socialists, and can be very right-wing, they've elected uh, reactionaries like former Senator Joe McCarthy, Gunner Joe. So uh, I just got to tell you. Having been spent a lot of time in Wisconsin, it is an unpredictable state. As you have seen in the last two presidential elections, it's come down to thousands of votes. In one instance, Trump wins. In the next instance, Trump loses. Anyway, our numbers, uh, it's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Uh, let's go, if we can, to uh, uh, Jimmy out in uh, Staten Island, a.k.a. Staten, Italy. Welcome to WABC, Jimmy. Mrs. Lewa, I call it Rotten Island, to be honest with you. How you doing? You did great. I was proud of you. We met you. You love my sister Josephine. We got, we got my friend Kathy. We got beautiful pictures of you. I'm having two of them enlarged. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I've had better days. Uh, but get to your point, Jimmy. You're giving me your whole history of your family's relationship with yours truly. All right, here's what I want to say to you and to whomever's listening. I am so disgusted at the word race. I am this guy, uh, Rittenhouse, is not a hero. Is not he's a, all he was was an American for the Second Amendment, protecting his life. And that's why they're making all these scenes and screaming. But the racial thing has got to go. Burning police stations down have got to go. Where is the civility in this world? We know where it is. Down the tubes because people do not believe in God. They have to believe in God. They have to work with each other. Now, now, wait a second. So you're telling me, Jimmy, 
that all the people there did not believe in God, and this is a result of a godless uh, situation when, in fact, many of the worst wars that have ever been fought around the world have been over whose God is the right God, and millions have been slaughtered. Are you aware of that, Jimmy? Absolutely. I mean, Germany, number one. Russia, number two. I mean, let's let's face it. The Crusades, the Crusades on their way to the Middle East as they were practicing on Jews along the way, turning them into speed bumps. It has nothing to do with religion. And whether people were religious or not religious, I'm sure there were some people there on both sides who probably were claiming that they were holy rollers and religious, and then there were others who absolutely didn't have a, a not a drop of religious belief in the marrow of their bones. Anyway, let's go to Bob, who's calling from Armonk. Welcome to WABC and the Curtis Sleewitt Show here, Bobby. Hey, I was looking at Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L, on Google, and there was a podcast, Young Girls Traffic Held Captain. Gee, Bob, yeah, young girl, trying to figure that one. What, 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 what does that have to do with Kenosha? And what does that have to do with the uh, jury verdict to exonerate Kyle Rittenhouse and everything that's occurred in the aftermath? <laughs> that's right. Get in your plugs. Get in your plugs at my expense. Let's get that number out there. Give some sane and sober individuals out there who haven't been imbibing uh, too long to get in on this. 1-800-848-9222. In the meantime, I was listening to uh, James Golden uh, earlier today, and this is the conclusion that he came to uh, after taking some of your calls. Anybody that's heard me the past few days know that I don't think the kid should have been out there anyway. 17 years old, stay your ass at home and do your homework. Go play with girls. Go play with yourself if you can't play with girls. But you don't belong at a riot at age 17. You say, mommy, mommy, there's a riot going on. Can I go and I'm going to take, I want to go get a gun and a medical kit and go play in the riot. No, stay home, idiot. You're 17. If you go looking for trouble, you'll probably find it. That's what most parents would say. And that's what I would say to a 17-year-old. Daddy, can I go to the riots? No, son, you can't go to the riots. You're 17. Wait till you're an adult. You are a minor. Ah. Balance, medze, medze, poco, poco. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Now listen to Bo Snurdly this morning from 9 to 10. He was like, medze, medze, poco, poco. Said, hey, Rittenhouse should have just stayed home, did his homework. (laughs) Doesn't look to me like (laughs) the book learning type, like he's going to be sitting at home uh, studying lessons. By the way, Bo, there's a lockdown and pandemic. There were no schools. Nothing. Nothing going on. Remember back then. It's August of 2020. People had nothing to do. You couldn't go to clubs. You couldn't go to bars, restaurants. You couldn't work. You couldn't go to school. This was like, for some people, entertainment. Hey, there's rioting going on in Kenosha. Everybody wanted to be there. And if you had an ideology one way or the other, you wanted to be with your tribe. But some people just came to spectate. Think of what was going on back then, August of 2020. There was nothing going on. And so groups would actually like travel like caravans from city to city. So if it was uh, Breonna, the Breonna situation in Louisville, uh, if it had to do with Floyd in Minneapolis, if it had to do to other insurrections or other disputes or whatever was going on, 
people like uh, in traveling caravans, depending on your ideology. And a lot of people were there just to spectate. Remember, think of what it was like in August of 2020. What were you doing in August of 2020? Anyway, let's go all the way to Denver, Colorado. Welcome to WABC, Mikey. Hi, Curtis. Thank you so much for taking my call. First of all, I just want to say I am a huge fan of yours. Um, I've followed your uh, campaign very closely from Colorado. I'm 25 years old, and um, I I just I love um, how you put animal rights first. Because if we don't take care of our animals, how are we going to take care of our citizens? And you were absolutely right with that. And I hope that that's something that uh, maybe you can work with Eric Adams to adopt that kind of policy as well. Uh, first of all, so just First of all, thank you. Oh, so yeah, much. no, I do oh. intend on pushing that uh, with the uh, brand new mayor elect, Eric Adams. But your point on the Rittenhouse uh, jury decision? Absolutely. So. Alan Dershowitz, he made a really interesting point the other day after the verdict came down. He said that if you watch the trial on CNN or MSNBC, you would think it was a slam dunk for Kyle Rittenhouse to be convicted because they only tell one side of the story. And, you know, I don't think it's any secret that, like, Kyle Rittenhouse probably shouldn't have been at the protest in the first place with a rifle, you know, when he wasn't even from Kenosha. But I think that you know, when we look at these protests right now, I think a lot of the blame kind of has to fall on how the mainstream media, CNN, uh, MSNBC, has covered this case. Well, I, I, I'll tell you M- this. I, I know everybody wants to blame the media, Mike. Uh, I'm going to give you my observations of why this was jury nullification. What I mean is from the day that Kyle Rittenhouse walked into that courtroom, the way he looked, babyface. Uh, He was halfway home. I'll describe more of that coming up. But that's what you call jury nullification, where in the minds of the jurors, remember, there were 20 assembled. He ended up uh, pulling out uh, those who would become alternative, alternative jurors. Different kind of way of doing it there by that judge. But, hey, it doesn't matter. All 20 heard the case. Any one of them could have jumped in as an uh, alternate juror uh, to have come to that same conclusion But when I saw that young man in the courtroom, the way he was dressed up, his demeanor, I said, jury nullification. Look at this guy. He's babyface. There was another babyface, Nelson, one of the worst criminals in the history of America, who was Dillinger's partner in robbing banks, killed more FBI agents than anyone in the history of America. And he had a babyface, too. Oh, we're going to get into all that, but let's go down to Brooklyn and Scott. Welcome to the Curtis Sliwa Show here at WABC, Scott. How are you, Curtis? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Totally support. I'm just disgusted what happened to... I'm born and raised downtown Brooklyn. I'm disgusted at what my neighborhood has turned into. I mean, I'm here 55 years, long before the, the Cobble Hill and the Dumbo and all this other stuff. This is a, 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 like a sideshow. I mean, three-quarters of the people are, are Caucasians walking the streets protesting. It's like when everything happens, their mothers and fathers send them outside with posters in their hands sitting in the $4 million apartments all over downtown, $5,000, million apartments sitting around. Everybody's broke. No, you, uh, Scott, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Whether they're coming in from Sunset Park or Brooklyn Heights or Prospect Heights or the Berg, Williamsburg or Bushwick, a lot of them live on blind trust. Others of them, they have to work two, three jobs to make ends meet. This is their political ideology. They live for demonstration. 
Just a few instructions to all of you who are calling. You got like a tick. You always do. This is part of talk radio. It doesn't matter that it's yours truly uh, hosting until 4 o'clock today. And I'll be back tomorrow with Chris Hahn from 3 to 5. And then go solo from 9 to 1. So mark that on your schedule. That's Sunday. But when you call up, everybody says, hey, how you doing? Well, I've had better days. Do I have to keep repeating myself? Everyone else will say, no, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How's the wife and kids? Oh, wife and kids doing real good. You're all full of it because you know that's not the way life really is, that everyone is doing so well. And then you say, thanks for taking my call. What the hell do you think I've been doing here for the last half hour but giving out the phone number for you to call? So now you're thanking me for taking your call as if I know who the hell you are. You call in, I take your calls. We are soliciting you for calls. That's why it's called talk radio. You don't have to thank us for nothing. You're helping us. We should be thanking you. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. So let's get back to my conclusion that... It was a form of jury nullification that took place when the jury was impaneled in Kenosha to hear the case, the prosecution case, against Kyle Rittenhouse in the killings uh, of uh, two of the demonstrators who had been there and the injuring of a third. And if you look at the face of this uh, young man, he had that baby face, that mameluk face. Doesn't mean he was. But it sort of reminded me, I had a flashback when I first saw him in that courtroom. I said, hey, Babyface Nelson, where was he from? Not far from Kenosha, Chi-Town. He turned out to be one of the most violent criminals in the history of America. In fact, how did he get that nickname? Because he did have a baby face. He robbed the mayor of Chicago's wife of her jewels. And when she described it to the coppers, she said, oh, he had such a baby face. Yeah, that was Babyface Nelson who became partners with John Dillinger, and you know the rest of that story. I mean, this guy was a mad dog killer. So just because somebody has a baby face does not suggest that they are not capable of committing the most heinous crimes. But clearly, you saw the look. And then, obviously, the prosecution was trying to make it seem like this guy was hell-bent on coming to Kenosha. And without saying it directly... Hunting for blacks, which, as you can see, the majority of the Black Lives Matter demonstrators were not black. They were white. And he ended up having that confrontation with the two white guys that he ended up killing. The one guy uh, you saw was definitely, when you learn more about him, and obviously Rittenhouse did not know who Rosenbaum was. He didn't know who any of the people that he shot were. But Rosenbaum, obviously a troubled guy, uh, he had just been released uh, from a hospital that night on, uh, I believe it was, what, August 24th of that year, 2020, hooked up with his girlfriend who lived in Kenosha and was out in the streets with Black Lives Matter. Uh, he had some kind of sexual assault charge uh, against uh, a child, underaged uh, uh, young adult back in Arizona, and yeah, he was a troubled guy. And all you had to do was just look at the various videotapes. Videotapes told you everything, including from the drone. Sort of gave you a bird's eye view of exactly what was transpiring between Rittenhouse and these other guys. 
So you see, in the case of uh, the first guy, Rosenbaum, Rosenbaum uh, was unarmed. In fact, uh, I believe Rittenhouse actually said when he took to the jury stand, excuse me, when he took to the uh, stand and gave his testimony that he knew he was unarmed, but he shot him four times because he was reaching for the gun. You had an opportunity to see that for yourself in the video. Then apparently he had been jump kicked uh, and uh, the person fled and uh, he had shot two uh, more shots that apparently missed their target. And then uh, the uh, skateboard guy uh, had bopped him in the head with the skateboard. And apparently he was trying to struggle for the gun. I don't know why all these guys are running to try to take a gun away from a guy. You've already saw him shoot Rosenbaum, right? Four times. And you're still running at the guy. What are you, like a kamikaze pilot? What are you, a jihadist, a suicide uh, nut? The guy has already shot somebody four times, and yet you're still running in his direction. And then there was the other guy, apparently, who had a Glock pistol, who claimed that he was a paramedic, uh, that he was also uh, uh, sort of a site inspector for the American Civil Liberties Union. And uh, he ended up getting shot as he pointed. He acknowledged in his testimony he pointed the gun at Rittenhouse, and Rittenhouse shot him in the arm. Luckily, he didn't die, too. But there was anarchy. There was chaos. There was shots being fired all over the place, obviously not just by Rittenhouse but other people. And there was a dearth of law enforcement, almost no cops, no county sheriffs. They had tried to move everyone from downtown outside of the courthouse to the surrounding areas. And I think tactically that was a big mistake because then people just started running rampantly through the streets of Kenosha having these uh, battles with one another. And remember, this all occurred because uh, the prior night, the car dealership uh, had been uh, attacked. Uh, The cars had been arsoned. The cars had been vandalized. There was just uh, other businesses that had been attacked. Uh, And there was total lawlessness. Now, what happens when there's anarchy? What happens when there's no law and order? People start determining what is law and order on the spot, depending on their ideology. And in this case, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, had gone there like others, supposedly to protect property. And then Black Lives Matter uh, members and those that were in sympathy with them supposedly were there to protest what had happened to uh, Blake, Jacob Blake, when he was shot seven times by the white police officer. So supposedly everybody was there for the proper reasons. But the only ones that could have kept people at bay Well, law enforcement, and especially the National Guard, and the uh, governor in Wisconsin, like the governor had been in Minnesota, was a dollar short and a day late in sending in the Guard, and all chaos took place. And you had an opportunity to see everything transpire in this trial. And the jury found him innocent of all charges. Uh, Let's go, if we can, uh, to uh, Callahan, who's calling from New Jersey. Welcome to the Curtis Lewis Show here at WABC, Callahan. Yeah, hi there. Uh, You did a great job with your campaign, and uh, I supported you because of your community and public service. Well, thank you, Kelly. You know that. And um, what you brought up about his driving record, no other Republican or Democrat or independent has ever looked at anything like that. So I think you are a first when it comes to that to show 
behavior and what's possible. So I have to credit you for that. You should write a paper. <laughs> but I want to say that just looking at it objectively, how many people were let go and not prosecuted for all of the crimes against buildings and people's stores and destroying their lives? Dozens, dozens and dozens. Right. So it, it is illogical for people to be saying he's getting a deal when so many people were allowed to create mayhem. Yeah, well, see, that's uh, that's always been the argument, Callahan, that crimes against property uh, are not equal to crimes against people. Now, I disagree. In fact, in that summer of uh, 2020, you remember June 1st, June 2nd, uh, soon after what had happened to um, George Floyd in the streets of Minneapolis, I was out uh, in Midtown and the Soho area with the Guardian Angels when the cops were ordered to stand back by Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the weak one from Park Slope. Uh, so cops were not intervening. Plywood was going up everywhere. Home Depot and other outlets had run out of plywood. Those store owners knew they were going to get hit, and they got hit. Uh, there was rioting, looting, and shooting following days, two days straight of protests uh, during the uh, daylight hours. And rioting, looting, and shooting at night. And I was battling, if you remember. You saw the video. Me and the Guardian Angels were battling the looters. And people said to me, why are you out there? Look, Guardian Angels have been seriously injured. You had your jaw broken. Uh, It's just property. You know, there's insurance. Well, not everyone had insurance. But even if everyone had insurance, the moment you let the army of anarchists and others who are out of control at that moment, uh, vandalize or break into property, then they go for product. You know you know what they were looking for at that particular time. They were looking for limited edition so that they could throw it up on eBay the next day. It was all about capitalism then, even though many of them claim that they hate capitalism. It was all about making a buck. Uh, and then they go after people. So remember, first it's property, and if you do nothing, then they steal product. And if you do nothing, then they attack people. So you got to stop them. When they start attacking, vandalizing, and breaking into property. And if you don't, then total chaos and anarchy takes place. And that's what you had in Kenosha. No law enforcement, no county sheriffs, no police, no National Guard, no state troopers. By the time they arrived, it was too late. The situation was out of hand. And so... People took advantage of that. And remember at that time, nothing was going on. You couldn't go to nightclubs. You couldn't go to bars or restaurants. Businesses were closed. People were out on unemployment. Uh, They weren't working. Uh, They weren't going to school because everything was in lockdown. It was a pandemic. So this was an event like so many other events that were taking place. And a lot of young people just decided that they were going to go there. If nothing more than to be spectators. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Gus, who's calling from Queens. Welcome to Curtis Lee. We're here on today's Saturday till 4 o'clock today, Gus. Curtis, it's an honor and a privilege to speak with you again, my friend. I don't know if you remember, but I was speaking with you as DJ Your Honor during your mayoral campaign, and I just wanted to uh, thank you for running, and thank you for running a hell of a campaign, and truth be told, you should have been the clear-cut winner. Um, but just to uh, j- just to discuss the uh, just to discuss the Kenosha case real quick, I wanted your take as to why it is that people still perpetuate and believe the lie 
that Rittenhouse was a white supremacist when clearly he wasn't. He's a Hispanic kid. They believe that they believe and perpetuate the lie that he killed uh, that he killed people of color, which is uh, not the case. And uh, some people still believe that, despite uh, you know, despite the uh, despite evidence to the contrary. And mo- and most importantly, people still believe the lie and perpetuate the lie that he killed these people, uh, you know, on, of his own uh, on his uh, on his own when it was in reality it was a uh, mechanism of self-defense and the incredible restraint shown by Mr. Rittenhouse in that, by the way. So well, well Gus, uh, I, I don't know about self-restraint there. <laughs> I'm not going to give him a badge of honor saying he took quite the beat down and then all of a sudden, you know, he shot these bullies. He shot the first guy four times, Rosenbaum, okay? So... Uh, Let's just say he was terrified, he was scared, he was running away. Uh, They were boxing him in. I couldn't figure out what he was doing, and I sure couldn't figure out what the other guys were doing chasing him. He's got a loaded AR-15. He shoots that first guy, Rosenbaum, four freaking times. You see the guy go down, and you're still chasing him. That's pretty crazy. Uh, But we'll, we'll break it down. There were some other things that were added into this brew that suggested to me that Kyle, Kyle was certainly not a hero, but he was certainly not the heel that some had made him out to be. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. So after listening to Bo Snurdly this morning from 9 to 10... He had it more balanced. What the hell was uh, the kid doing out there, age 17, with an AR-15? Should have been at home, although I can understand why at that particular time a lot of people were out in the streets because (laughs) there was nothing else to do, man. This was kicking. The The whole nation, the whole world was watching. And then uh, Larry Kudlow, who followed, uh, was basically ready to lionize this uh, this guy, Kyle Rittenhouse, which is something you should not do. He's not a hero. Uh, Larry Kudlow, I think, was ready to give him the Congressional Medal of Honor just to show you the diverse point of views just right here at WABC. You don't have to go to the other mainstream media. Here, we've got a lot of different points of view, as all of you do. And you can weigh in on this at one 800 Let's go to Lisa Lisa in Nutley, New Jersey. Welcome to Curtis Lee. We're here at WABC today, Lisa. Hey, babes. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, everybody is ripping on this poor kid's mom. What about all the other parents that, I mean, those three kids, bad rap sheets and everything? Where are their parents? How come nobody's talking about how they're raising their kids? And explain to me why Black Lives Matter, half the kids are white. Well, it's uh, sometimes in more situations, uh, there are more whites than there are blacks in Black Lives Matter. But let's bifurcate it. Lisa, number one, Rosenbaum was no kid. So Rosenbaum, who was the first to be killed, he was shot four times, uh, I believe was uh, in his 30s, about 35. He was no kid, living on his own. Clearly had mental health uh, situations going on. Uh, In fact, he had been in a Milwaukee hospital uh, after a suicide attempt uh, hours before that. His fiancée lived uh, in Kenosha. He lived in Milwaukee. Then Huber, the skateboarder, had already done two prison stints. 
for family problems. So he wasn't going to stay at home. He tried to choke out his brother one time. <laughs> so having having the skateboard guy stay at home <laughs> would not be the wisest decision since he had already been locked up twice before and gone to prison for attacks on family members. Uh, and he was an adult. So he was not somebody who uh, you would say stay at home. Uh, even though there was a curfew, you really think people were going to be paying attention to a curfew where uh, they didn't have enough police, didn't have enough sheriff's deputies, didn't have enough state troopers, and didn't even have the National Guard in there? Of course not. And then you had the guy who claimed to be the paramedic, but he was also a, um, uh, what can we call it, uh, a watcher for the American Civil Liberties Union to make sure people's rights weren't being violated, yet he had a pistol in his hand that the permit had run out of. He aimed the pistol at Kyle, and Kyle shot him in the arm before he could shoot Kyle. He admitted that on the witness stand, to his credit. He didn't try to sort of uh, slant uh, his testimony in his direction, but he was an adult. So none of them were under parental supervision. And by the way, Kyle Rittenhouse was going back and forth between houses, his mom's house in Antioch with his sisters, and I think his stepfather's house, uh, which was right there in Kenosha with his best buddy. And he was 17. And by the way, you got a license to drive a car, and in Wisconsin you can drink. (laughs) Yes, as long as a parent is there. Uh, And you can have an AR-15. So figure that out. I will say, one, once he was bailed out, who was that, by Ricky Schroeder? Uh, that was weird. Ricky Schroeder was, like, bailing him out. And then the pillow guy, uh, Mike Lindell, they pooled their resources. I think it was $2 million bail. His mom took him to a gin joint called Pudgy's, a real dive, somewhere outside of her scenes. And I don't know why she took him to a gin joint, because then he's taking all kinds of pictures and apparently making A-OK signs, and uh, they were singing a Proud Boy song to him. What the hell? As a mom, are you taking him to a gin joint when your son is out on a $2 million bond for having killed two people and injuring another guy? And you're, you're knocking back brewskis there in Wisconsin, which people live on brewskis and cheese. What the hell? He should have been at home. Yet mommy took him to the bar because in Wisconsin you can be 17, that's right, and you can go to a bar and drink. You can drive a car in Wisconsin, you can have an AR-15 fully loaded, and you can be drinking up a storm in a gin mill as long as your mom or dad are there. Anyway, let's go if we can to Morty, who's calling from New Jersey. Uh, Welcome to WABC, Morty. Hey, Kurt, it's great to talk with you. I appreciate you taking my call. I know you don't like me saying that, but I didn't hear a thank you for calling. I'm joking around. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Curtis, I want to talk about this. Uh, I want to talk about the hypocrisy here because I've been trying to, uh, I've been trying to, I'm a logical person. I've been trying to utilize logic here to, uh, to sort of, um, you know, substitute puzzle pieces. So let's just take Rittenhouse out of the equation. We still got that other guy there, um, that other good Samaritan with the, with the pistol, right? So if Rittenhouse was never there and that guy was still there with the pistol and he ended up shooting someone else, unarmed or armed otherwise, would there still be this much outrage? Would there still be this uh, protest in the streets? And um, another thing I wanted to bring up, my last point, was the um, was how I'm seeing all this commentary about how uh, uh, from politicians and other uh, influencers on social media, they're saying how uh, this is made from a system that's only benefiting one type of people and 
I'm thinking to myself, was, is that the same system that they were praising when this cop that killed George Floyd was sentenced to jail? I mean, is that the same system or is it a different one? Now, Coach Morty, it's all about the decision. You like the decision, then you praise the system. You don't like the decision, and then you vilify the system. It's like if you actually watched most of the trial, you saw that the prosecutors had a weak, if almost nothing, case. And as I say, um, optics are everything. Uh, I believe a form of jury nullification took place, and that is is that the jury saw Kyle, baby-faced Kyle Rittenhouse in that courtroom. And the guy had this Mama Luke face, this baby face. And immediately stereotypes kick in. I don't care if you were a black kid at that time, Hispanic kid or Asian kid. If all of a sudden uh, Kyle Rittenhouse went in there and he had tats uh, like a giraffe on his neck, you know, F the world. <laughs> or I'm a one percenter or a three percenter or an old keeper or proud boys forever. <laughs> it would have been a whole different view towards Kyle Rittenhouse. But now you got to understand the FBI which stood for years forever busting Italians and then uh, forever uh, busting Islamists, did a deep dive on this guy's social networking. And you know kids 17, they're all into Instagram, you know, not so much Facebook, but they're getting their, their message out there. Apparently, he did not have any ties to these uh, supremacist organizations. He wasn't high-fiving them. He wasn't sort of praising them. And let's face it, there was a lot of information out there since George Floyd was killed that might have prompted you to either be praising Black Lives Matter or Proud Boys or whatever. Apparently he didn't do that. He was praising cops all the time. And Blue Lives Matter seemed like he wanted to be a cop. He was, what, a junior cadet? Uh, I'm not quite sure. But the point being is they did a deep dive on his social networking. I I just don't understand the moms. The kid's out on a $2 million bail from the pillow guy, (laughs) Ricky Schroeder. (laughs) Ricky Schroeder. (laughs) When I saw that picture, I was like, Ricky Schroeder? I thought he was dead. Anyway, so he's out on $2 million bond. And they go to this cheap gin joint, Pudgies, where it looked like hillbillies were there. Right uh, between Racine and Kenosha. I'm going to go into this tomorrow night. I'm going to be on from 9 to 1. Most of you have never been to Kenosha or Racine or that area of Wisconsin between Chicago and Milwaukee. I've spent a lot of time there. It is, at at times, the land of the three-eyed cousin fornicators. I'm telling you. The only thing you don't get a lot of are the trailer camps. But (laughs) it is not. Uh, an area that you would think of, although, give you a little hint what we're going to talk about. You know who was from Kenosha? War of the Worlds, Orson Welles, right? War of the Worlds. Yeah. Wow, you're all surprised here in the studio. Wow, Orson Welles from a town of 150,000. Well, it wasn't like that years and years ago. And then uh, uh, the Avengers, right? You love the Avengers? You know who played the Hulk? Garofalo, right, right, the Hulk, he's from there too. Now, he's a radical. His politics are radical. But he's just a little hint, going to talk more about Kenosha tomorrow night because if you understand Kenosha, you understand its history, you understand its place geographically, you can understand a hell of a lot about what transpired back then on August uh, 24th in the aftermath of J.K. Blake getting shot seven times by a white police officer uh, after a domestic dispute and then eventually led to rioting, looting, and shooting 
and the trial of Kyle Babyface uh, Rittenhouse. That should be his nickname, Kyle Babyface Rittenhouse. But we're going to see if he maintains that baby face. Because, you know, all of a sudden I saw on Tucker Carlson, uh, they had a little preview interview. He was in the backseat of the car, you know, promoting what it's going to be a full-scale interview, I guess, on Monday night. He was smiling. I would say, hey, kid, <laughs> if I were you, I wouldn't be smiling. Ain't nobody a winner here. <laughs> Nobody's a winner here. Our number is one 800 Oh, I guess if you're him, could have been doing triple life without parole. If they got that first uh, first of five charges uh, on you, a full jury decision, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Yonkers. Uh, welcome to the Curtis Sleeper Show, Mike. Hey, Curtis. Firstly, thanks for stepping up and running for mayor, man. I mean, New York would have been served well had you become the mayor. I just want to say that. Thank you. Yeah. So listen, um, you know. If, if you read the, the newspaper accounts, watch the newspaper, uh, rather than watch the cable news uh, network, except for maybe Fox, uh, the, the racial component of this, despite the fact that he shot white people and killed a white person, it's just disgusting. And, yeah, I mean, this kid set it all up and set the table for all of the problems that occurred that night. But when it's all said and done, you know, it was like you described earlier, it's the uh, letter of the law, you know? Well, you know, a lot of people are saying, look at him, he's 17. Uh, and I say, yeah, what the hell are you doing out there at 17 with an AR-15? But then again, how many people have served in war at 17 with a gun in their hand uh, serving America? So 17 is an age where in a lot of parts of America, you can not only drive, you can drink, and you can shoot. And it's a different way of life than what we're used to in our sector of the country. And that's probably part of the problems when it comes to uh, gun control and other issues like that is uh, in urban areas, they look at it differently than in suburban and rural areas. If you live in a more rural area, having guns is like almost uh, a way of life. Doesn't mean everybody in a rural area does have guns, but uh, they're certainly uh, more prevalent. In suburb areas and urban areas, and in urban areas, there seems to be like a stigma. It's sort of like a Pandora's box uh, that uh, there are problems. Anyway, let's go to Ed, who's calling from the Turnpike. Uh, welcome to WABC, Ed. Hi, uh, Curtis. Thank you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I just wanted to mention something earlier. Uh, you mentioned that he shot the first guy four times. He was using a... Uh AR-15, which is an automatic assault rifle. So the minute he squeezed the trigger, four clips came out. And the second thing I wanted to bring up is that the uh, other EMT guy that uh, was there as an observant, he had also brought a weapon with him, presumably to uh, protect himself. And when he saw the situation arise, he wanted to use it. So the same thing goes for Kyle. He had brought a weapon there to protect himself. Well, you say to protect himself, but if you believe the defense of Kyle Rittenhouse, he went there with his AR-15 to protect property that had been vandalized the night before to stop the violence. And if you uh, if you listen to the testimony of the paramedic who had a pistol in his hand and Kyle got to drop on him before the paramedic got to drop on uh, Kyle, he claimed he was there to be a peacemaker But I'm telling you, bottom line is, where were the cops? Where were the county sheriffs? Where were the state troopers? Where were the National Guard? There weren't enough of them. They were in retreat. 
and they weren't in the places that they needed to be where anarchy reigned and you had forces on both sides inseparable. In fact, they made a tactical decision to move them from away from the courthouse downtown out of that park square that you've seen so many of the media broadcasts come from and into surrounding areas of Kenosha. Tactically, that was a huge mistake. Anyway, we're going to continue talking about uh, the aftermath of the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, jury verdict, exonerating him on all charges. Also, what happened in Middle Village last night uh, by Black Block, the anarchists who came streaming through there. We're going to be talking to Councilman Robert Holden. This is your place to be, WABC. And that's right, yours truly, Curtis Slewa, back in the saddle, back in action, with my fingers on the pulse of the big NYC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Oh, after listening to that promo for Frankie Russo. He's a member of the JV here at WABC. He's not ready for prime time. No, no, he's not ready for the varsity. And I left him a message. He probably uh, is too chicken to play tonight for him. Really disparaging him. And talking about why the cat man, John Katsimatidis, wants to sign me up to a 30-year no-cut contract now that I'm back having lost Eric Adams for the mayoral election. And there is one point of dispute. And it has to do with Frankie Russo and pizza. Yeah, Frankie Russo and pizza. So you're going to have to be listening tonight. The other side of the Kukulamunga show known as Frankie Russo. Starting at 1 o'clock in the morning, it's my wife, uh, Nancy's favorite program. She says, oh, he's very entertaining, and she loves the callers. She better not like Frankie Russo, though. And anyway, uh, I've been joined uh, by Governor David Patterson. He'll be uh, in here momentarily. He has brought over my son, Anthony, who is an intern here at WABC, my oldest son, Anthony, and he is the stepfather. I know. I know my life is uh, a little bizarre there. But we'll be joined on him, uh, his take on the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, jury decision to exonerate him. Uh, Let's go, though, uh, if we can, to the many callers who are online and to uh, John, who's calling from Lindenhurst. Welcome to WABC, Johnny. How you doing? Listen, this kid shot Rosenbaum four times because he was trying to rob him of his rifle. Shot the skateboard kid trying to kill him twice and shot Bicep Boy once. And didn't hit any innocent bystanders. All everything else aside, you got to admit this kid's a damn good shot. Well, he did shoot twice more. Didn't hit anybody. Somebody apparently had thrown a flying hook kick, hit him in the head, and he fired two shots. I believe I stand to be corrected on that, but I I would not give him the uh, eagle marksmanship award here that the NRA hands out. Again, to me, Kyle Kyle is not a hero. But he's not a heel, as he's been made out to be. And as I had mentioned to you, joining us right now, no, he's not a vigilante or a militia member, as I've been accused of being by my critics. Uh, He is not a volunteer. He hasn't been known for keeping the peace politically, as I have been uh, praised by my supporters. He is the former governor of the state of New York, uh, Patterson, who's in the house. How are you doing, Curtis? Great. You brought my son over, Anthony. I, I brought your son over. We uh, we both had uh, ophthalmologist disappointments today. I think you knew how mine came out. But Anthony's vision is fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
You went from an ophthalmologist. We, we both went to the ophthalmologist today, and, uh, you know, they said the same three words they always say to me. You are blind. You know, <laughs> get out of here. We can't do anything for you. Now, uh, what was your take on the Rittenhouse jury decision there in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Well, you know, Alan Dershowitz uh, uh, wrote a tweet yesterday that was read uh, by John Katzmatidis and Lydia on the Cats at Night roundtable. And he said, if you watch the whole trial, you would not be surprised by the verdict. And so what I tried to do last night was to really look into what was going on. And I have to say this, even on CNN, they seem to really recognize that uh, it was hard to say that this kid started anything when there were so many other people who were armed and were kind of uh, yelling at each other and threatening each other and that kind of thing. And considering his age, as opposed to the others that were involved, and the actual actions where the, the you know the guy tried to hit him with the skateboard, the other guy tried to kick him, that kind of thing, it probably to the jury met the requirement for self-defense, which is that you're trying to retreat, you are not trying to get into a fight with anyone, but you're forced into one, and so. You know, last year we had a, uh, a uh, trial involving George Floyd. And I was very pleased that a great number of people who normally don't come down on the side of the victim in the, in the uh, case recognized that the George Floyd murder was an actual murder. I think that also calls for people who are willing to be objective looking at this case I can really see why the jury came to this verdict. I, I can understand it. it it's, it's murky. There's a lot going on. But I see how they came to this verdict. Well, take me through this scenario. Kenosha, a city the size of 150,000, it's had better days. It used to be a automobile capital of America, second only to Detroit. I'll talk about that tomorrow night at 8 o'clock when I'm um, back on on Sunday night. But let's compare it to uh, Rochester. When you were governor, Rochester has about 200,000 people now. It's had better days. It's had 75 homicides, 316 shootings this year alone. Unbelievable. They've called all kinds of public safety emergencies. They've had rioting and looting there from time to time. Just imagine when you were governor, if uh, perchance there had been a similar situation in a city like Rochester, what would have triggered you to send in the National Guard? Because in my belief in Kenosha, the Guard and the state troopers were sent in way too late when the situation had gotten well out of control. I think as soon as you start to even think that a situation is going to be out of control, you've got to send uh, police in. And you can't be critical of what did or didn't happen on January 6th and uh, and then object to the fact that people are rolling their eyes at the fact that a larger law enforcement contingent, sheriff's deputies, National Guard, anyone that could quell a situation like that. Usually you have a situation that gets out of hand because no one's stopping it when the uh, uniformed people are there. And they've let it be known that they're not going to let it start. Most situations 
are basically the, the the harm is abated by that. Now, we've always been told, we saw in the case of George Floyd, the, the slowness of the governor in Minnesota to send in the National Guard, especially after they burnt down that precinct in the South Minneapolis district, uh, and in Kenosha, and in other places where they had similar uh, types of violence. How long does it take to actually get the National Guard on scene? Since these are men and women who are just in the private sector, you know, they're raising their families. How generally much time do you need to mobilize them in order to get them into an affected area? We thought that if we needed the National Guard, it was going to take two or three hours. First, you have to get them, you know, back. They're they're not sitting there waiting to be called. They're not like the police who you can call them and they come. Uh, But it takes time for them to get to their post. Then you have to transport them to where the uh, violence and the derision is, and it's, uh, it can be two to three hours. So that's the reason why even if you sense something's going wrong, you start then, because better a National Guard that comes in and there are no fatalities and, uh, and it reduces the fighting than to have a situation that exploded such as that one did. And I do not equate law enforcement with abridging people's rights to protest. People should be allowed to protest but they can't go over the line and start destroying property or destroying each other, which has happened too many times. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised uh, and I'm glad to see that uh, finally uh, more Democrats are getting that you have to stop the violence. I mean, we're always saying stop the violence. But you have to stop it in all situations. Well, you know, uh, this comes down also to the Second Amendment the right to bear arms, when you can use arms, when you shouldn't be using arms. But when you were governor of New York State, this state is bifurcated really into like two separate sections. Uh, uh, Mid-Hudson and down as you go to New York City, which is not a big gun culture. And then you go up north. And I mean, it might as well be like the areas around Kenosha where people have rifles. They go hunting and they have guns. uh, They use guns on a regular basis. Uh, how do you separate both of those parts of New York State? Curtis, it's so hard. I'll tell you something. In 2008, a few months after I was governor, I was having a fundraiser, and I know you're going to just just enjoy that I had a fundraiser in the Hamptons. And at this fundraiser, a woman came up to me, and she said, I came to this fundraiser, but I really came here to tell you that I can't believe that you signed a bill for rifle training for 14-year-olds. And she said, I have a 14-year-old son. I would never let him have a gun. Well, at the time, I had a 14-year-old son, too. And I said to her, I wouldn't let him hold a gun. But in upstate New York, there are guns all around. They're everywhere. And the fact that they want to train the people so that if they ever use a gun or have to use a gun, that they will have learned that from an early age. I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is when people run around with guns and they have no training and uh, they fire them uh, indiscriminately based on some situation. Well, this woman was just too through with me. And I said to her, if you grew up in those areas where they're asking for this training, you would have allowed it yourself. And she just could not get that through her head. And I think that um, in, in, in spite of the fact that I'm very much in favor of, of getting rid of as many guns uh, that are illegal in a particular place, 
you just find that the people who register, the people who go through the procedures, the people who even ask for the training are going to abide by the rules far more than, than those who have illegal weapons. And so, therefore, uh, I was just always kind of surprised that I could never seem to get the people from New York City or Westchester, you know, north anywhere north of Rockland County to understand it's a different culture. And at times we have to respect the differences in culture. Well, see, it's amazing because if you go upstate there, and I've spent a lot of time up there between Albany and Buffalo and up near Plattsburgh, you go through all those very rural areas where sometimes it takes you a month of Sundays to come upon anyone in, in civilization that's living there because it's, it's so barren. You find there are kids there with guns. They're driving cars at an early age. They can't smoke or drink legally. But they can carry guns and they can drive at a young age. And how do you tell them in the culture that they live in that they shouldn't be doing that? Yeah, especially when everyone else is. So, and that's what we have to understand. Our problems with uh, inopportune violence are not coming from those people who register or who teach their children how to use weapons. They're coming from criminals. And, uh, you know, the facts just just bear that out. Uh you know, Curtis, I would love to sit here and talk to you all afternoon, but I have to tell you, I've lost the feeling in my left foot. What? My right hand is frostbitten. <laughs> I, I, the temperature in the studio reminds me, remember when Batman, they had Mr. Freeze? Yes. And he turned it on and it was like minus 30 degrees or something. I don't know how you can sit in here. Well, that's because, as many people have said, you know, Curtis... You've got ice running through your veins. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you loose here, Governor you, David Patterson. You must really have, Curtis. But congratulations. I thought you ran a, a, a good campaign. Uh, you were a victim of what we Democrats in Long Island and Nassau County, where I grew up, was we were out-registered 9 to 1. We made all these great <laughs> points, and then we lost every election. Yeah, but wait a <laughs> second. You were a fair-weathered friend. You could have broke ranks. I've known you for years. And who did you publicly endorse? Eric Adams, my opponent. Well, I, I just hope that uh, uh, my uh, choice— appreciated your support for him last week in the Black Lives Matter feud. Yeah, well, I hope so. Uh, but you know you know how politics <laughs> I'll, is. I'll check it out for How you. quickly people can forget. But you could have led Democrats for Sliwa. Governor Patterson, you could have been the capo di tutti well, of Democrats a, for Sliwa. There's a governor's Sliwa. race next year, Curtis. Uh, why don't you try it again, uh, and we'll talk. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Wow, st- stirring up the pot here. Well, thank you, Governor David thank Patterson. You. Thanks for bringing my son, Anthony, who is also an intern here. We're going to go back to your calls to uh, Annette, who's calling from Rockland County. Welcome to WABC, Annette. Congratulations and kudos on a, on a great campaign. Uh, both Snurley this morning, I have to say, was so funny with his Olympics of peaceful protesting between Louis Vuitton and in California and taking the flags off in New York and hitting. <laughs> or, it was funny. I mean, it was really funny. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Okay. My big thing, my big question is he brought it up and other people bring it up. And I'm curious, does Kyle actually have any grounds to suing these people the, between the media, de Blasio even today says something against him. It came on the radio. And even the president of the United States, they were actually the ones that created the bandwagon that other people jumped on. And I'm wondering, does he, can he go after any of them? And he should. In my- well, well, look, Annette, uh, there is a dearth of criminal defense attorneys. He obviously had good criminal defense. 
But there are thousands, make it tens of thousands of lawyers out there. Esquire at the end of the name. I don't know why they call him Esquire, right? Give him the name, right? Richard Brown Esquire. What, what does that mean? What? Esquire shoe polish? You know, instead of Kiwi shoe polish? Because you know what respect I have for lawyers? None! Liars for hire. That's what they are. But anyway, of course he can sue. There are legions of lawyers. They go for martial arts training called I sue. That's all they do. They live to sue. Now, will he get Will he get anywhere with that? I don't think so. But you better believe that now that he's been exonerated in the criminal court action, uh, he is definitely being solicited by all kinds of lawyers out there talking about what a great lawsuit he has against major media outlets. Yeah, he's going to try to get some coin that way. I don't know how successful that could potentially be. Let's go to Stu calling from Brooklyn. Welcome to WABC, Stu. Hey, Curtis, good to hear you on the radio again. However, having said that, I'm really surprised that uh, you were negative about this kid. This kid did what a young Curtis Lee would have done 40 years ago and is still doing. He saw a problem. He jumped in at his personal risk. You look at the background of this kid. He's a volunteer fireman and auxiliary policeman, uh, took uh, emergency uh, medical technician training. This is a good kid. Yeah, Stu, uh, uh, maybe maybe you ought to send a letter to uh, Pope Francis there for beatification. Maybe we, uh, we should turn him into a saint. No, that's not who I would have. He would have been just like uh, uh, Rittenhouse here. No, no, no. No way. I didn't carry guns. Never have. And I've been shot, as many of you know, five times by uh, orders from John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. and the Gambito crime family, Hollow Point Bullets, guy named Michael Leonardi, who apparently is out of jail after doing 20 years for that. And I was offered a carry permit. Very difficult to get in New York City. I said no. That's my personal belief system. But look, Rittenhouse is not a hero, but he's not a heel. He's somewhere in between. So let's not lionize him. And let's not vilify him. Let's just go back, as they say, as Warner Wolf would have said, to the videotape, right? And just look at the court testimony. What appeared in court and why the jury unanimously on all five counts found him innocent. But come on. (laughs) Does it always have to be that you're a hero or a heel? A lot of gray areas out there. 1-800-848-9222. Coming up, Councilman Robert Holden of Middle Village, Queens, where apparently some anarchists decided uh, that there was no justice, no peace, and they were going to vandalize, and they were going to tear down flags, and they were going to desecrate cars. He'll give us an update on that uh, as to what transpired last night. Entertaining and informative. Talking about Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. So happy uh, former governor David Patterson just dropped my uh, oldest son, Anthony, off, 17. He's an intern here at WABC, and he will soon be taking over the microphone from me. I could just, I'm looking at him right now. He's like, yeah, I got it, Daddy. Not yet, kid. John Katzmatidis wants to sign me up. No-cut contract for 30 years, but we have one bone of contention remaining, and it has to do with Frankie Russo. 
the other side of midnight, Fridays to Saturdays, Saturdays to Sunday from 1 to 5. Um, he's a member of the JV squad here at WABC. He's not, he's not yet ready. He's not ready prime time, you know, varsity. But he gets something that I don't get contractually. Has to do with pizza. Yeah, a small point like that could keep me from signing a 30-year no-cut contract. Anyway, let's go back to the phones. It's Mark in Ringwood, New Jersey. Uh, welcome to the Curtis Sliwa Show, Mark. Hey, Curtis. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to talk to you. Uh, one of the positives of you not winning my race is to have you back on the radio. Uh, I did miss you. I wish you had won the race, but it's nice to have you back. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Curtis, I, two quick points. One is I think that many people who were – uh, commenting on this trial weren't even aware of the race of the people involved other than Kyle Rittenhouse. That's number one. Until later, maybe, they found out after they had already put their foot in their mouth. Number two is as soon as that trial was over, the NJEA, I think the guy's name is Sean Stiller, the president of the New Jersey Education Association, put out a statement claiming that our justice system is broken. It was more than that, but that was their point. I just find that to be completely irresponsible for an organization like themselves to put something out like that. And uh, I don't have Facebook or any social media, so this is my way of venting. No, no, no. And that's what talk radio is. Your turn to be heard, Mark, there in Ringwood. And I will tell you this. Talk about social networking, the FBI, which used to stand for Forever Busting Italians and Forever Busting Islamists, did a full dive on Rittenhouse in terms of uh, babyface Rittenhouse's uh, social networking. Apparently, there was nothing there. The only uh, relationships he seemed to have is uh, he supported cops, Blue Lives Matter, uh, apparently had ideas of maybe becoming a cop, but no ties or no support of supremacist groups of any type. And yet when the, the pillow guy, Lindell, and Ricky Schroeder, again, I don't understand that. Ricky Schroeder putting up part of the bail money. I guess between the pillow guy and Ricky Schroeder was like two mil, $2 million to spring him. Then his mother, meaning Rittenhouse's mother, takes him to this dive outside of Racine, Wisconsin, called Pudgies. And he's knocking him back, right? He's 17, but in Wisconsin, as long as a parent is there, uh, kid can drink. Figure that one out. Uh, and he's knocking him back, and they're taking, they're photobombing him, and apparently he's making some kind of signals that said uh, he was supporting Proud Boys, that he was singing songs like that. And I'm saying to myself, why would you be taking your son to any kind of a gin joint? Let's say he got into a fight, having nothing to do with the trial, just a simple bump, an argument, then nothing but double trouble comes from being in a gin joint. I don't understand where the mother's mind was at that moment. Going to take him to Pudgies. Just the name alone, right? Pudgies. What kind of a human being, other than if you were a hillbilly with a pickup truck, would want to go to a place called Pudgies? Anyway, let's go to Ted calling from Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ted. Yes, I appreciate them. I see you on Metropolitan Avenue there in Forest Hills, and I always look forward to that. Uh, I think that these uh, protests are nothing more than uh, walking singles bars. And if you'd like, I would love to take two of your cats 
Ah, Ted. Now, so you said it's nothing more than walking sig- single bars, B-A-R-S? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, bar, yeah. that's an excellent observation. I'll tell you why, Ted. When uh, the demonstrators were hot and heavy in the summer of 2020, after uh, Floyd was killed in the streets of South Minneapolis by the cops, and it was like nonstop, it was a place where people gathered up every day to socialize during the day. And there'd be no justice, no peace marches. They'd go on for hours and hours, and they would meander. And you'd end up meeting all different kinds of people from all over the place. Some were just there to observe because it was the only thing going on. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, back then, nobody was working. Almost nobody was working. Schools were not in session. There was nothing to do. So if you had nothing to do with your life, you just went to the demonstration taking place that day. It could have been in, uh, in regards to Floyd. It could have been in regards to uh, the situation that occurred in uh, Kenosha that involved uh, Blake. It could have been any number of actions at that time. People, it did become like a single spar scene. People were hooking up. I made that observation to my wife, Nancy, after going to the first few demonstrations just to observe, you know, who are the people involved, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, some other groups, social justice warriors. And I noticed people were pairing up. They were hooking up. It became a place. You couldn't go to bars to hook up. You couldn't go to nightclubs. So where did you go? Your demonstration de jour involving any number of people that the justice warriors said were victims of police brutality. Anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, uh, John, who's calling from Bergen County. Welcome to WABC, John. Uh, Sullivan? No? Ah, you got to talk into the phone, Johnny. Hi, how are you doing, Curtis? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, stop, stop, Johnny, for a second. Uh, I got to review these rules and regulations for callers. So you asked me, how am I doing? Johnny asked me, how am I doing? I've had better days. That's my response. I got a broken elbow here that's not healing. Got hit three days before the election by a cab. Running here to WABC to do a paid-for program. Got clipped, flew six feet in the air. Could have swore that de Blasio was behind the wheel with Eric Adams in the passenger seat. That's how I'm doing. What's our next uh, conversation? How the wife, how the kids? Yeah, yeah, get right into it. Go ahead, John. Uh, Sorry to put you on hold. Uh, just had to teach you the rules and regulations uh, as a caller. Yes, sir. You're a living legend, and it's an honor to speak with you. I just wanted to bring up a story that I think you'll find interesting. About 10 years ago, I was walking up 42nd Street, and I spotted you about 100 yards out. You spotted me about 60 yards out, and you got into your defensive posture. As you got close to me, we made eye contact. I put my hand up in the air. You walked by, gave me a big high five. We locked eyes, and we said everything we had to say with our eyes. And no words were spoken. It was a highlight of my life. I hope you're ready to run in four years because Eric Adams has already shown his true colors. And you are a great New Yorker. And we are so lucky to have you. Hey, I appreciate you stroking me, chewing my shorts and pulling my chain. Uh, but you got to give Eric Adams uh, his chance. He won fair and square. Um, let him put into place his vehicles, his mechanisms for being the mayor. I think we could all agree. And anybody could do a better job than Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope. If it had been de Blasio versus Zippy the Chimp, 
I would have voted for Zippy the Chimp. Zippy the Chimp could have done a better job than comrade Bill de Blasio, who spent too much time separating seeds from stems with his Maui Waui and Hindu Kush at night that he was token up, puff, puff, pass with his uh, wife Charlene after they had uh, taken one and a quarter billion dollars on a a program called Thrive that was supposed to take care of all the emotionally disturbed persons that are living in subways, in the streets, in the parks of New York City and have received none of that money, none of that money. See, that's the one thing I would have done if elected mayor. I would have said to the Department of Investigation, get the spreadsheets. Let's see where that one and a quarter billion dollars went. And if you can't connect the dots analytically... Get the silver bracelets out. We'll put them in his and her cells on Rikers Island, the place they want to close. The place that I've been incarcerated in. It wasn't that interested all during the campaign. All these, uh, oh, uh, right, close Rikers Island. They were all visitors to Rikers Island. They never were locked up there. They have no idea. I've been locked up in a dorm, locked up in a cell during the 80s when Ed Koch and the transit police hated my guts. I was getting locked up on a regular basis and sometimes put on the bus and taken out to Rikers Island for a few days. I think I'm an expert on Rikers Island. But everyone else, oh, my God, they're experts on Rikers Island. Hey, we'll, we'll discuss that in future programs. You're not going to want to miss tomorrow. Remember, three to five, an extra hour. It's yours truly versus Chris Hahn, left versus right. And you know, you know his positions uh, on what happened in Kenosha. There's no doubt about it. I, I bet you he's taking notes right now, probably listening. You know, little crib notes. You're going to need them, Chris. Anyway, let's go to uh, Abe, who's calling from uh, Lakewood in New Jersey. Uh, welcome to WABC and the Curtis Lee Show, Abe. Oh, uh, Shalom. Carter uh, uh, House was a uh, political prisoner. Now he's free, free, free. Gee, I understand. This is go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. Steve, 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 Steve. I've been doing this too long. Hey, you know, I'm a veteran of talk radio. Steve, just be Steve. Steve from Manhattan, Steve from Bayonne, wherever you want to be Steve from, just be Steve. Don't try to be Abe. First of all, Lakewood, New Jersey, right? Orthodox. They would not be calling on a Saturday. See that, Steve? You picked the wrong location. What do you think? I'm a schmuck, a putz? Just be Steve. And then you do your spiel, and then at the end of it, you tag on, go Buchanan, go Buchanan, go Buchanan. Abe from Lakewood, New Jersey. I knew that was you, Steve. <laughs> hey, I'm a righteous Gentile. I know. Anyway, let's go back to the phones. Uh, let's go to Charlie calling from Woodside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Yeah, great to talk to you. You're, you're behind Trump. You're number two. Okay, Trump is number one. You're number two. Anyway, now that you're out of the picture... Will we ever get any of the billion dollars that was stolen from the NYPD? Uh, no, no. Uh, you're a little convoluted there. Uh, they took a billion dollars out of the police budget. That's got to be put back, and we got to hire more cops. The money I was talking about was from Thrive, the fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi program that was supposed to help uh, those who are emotionally disturbed. I haven't seen a penny of it utilized. But now if Trump is number one and I'm number two, those that don't like Trump and those that don't like Curtis Sliwa might say, does that have to do with a different number one and a different number two? 
Just think, Dr. Spock, and the meaning of potty training and how it developed generation after generation. I know I'm straining your brains now, Dr. Spock. What is it? Well, think about it. He said all problems in society are the result of your potty training. I'll leave it at that. Up next, we're going to be talking to Bob Holden, councilman of Middle Village, who, surprise, surprise, last night, the residents in and nearby Glendale were were looking at these guys and gals running around dressed all in black, part of Black Block, the anarchists, uh, as they were terrorizing the neighborhood, all because of the jury decision in Kenosha. Check this out. Entertaining and informative. Talking about Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, so let's revisit last night. Whenever you want a demonstration, there's you in New York City. It used to be when I was growing up. You go to 14th Street, Union Square Park. Everybody had a soapbox. Or uh, you went to uh, Greenwich Village, Washington Square Park. Now, where do you go? <laughs> you go to Barclays Center, Atlantic Avenue, downtown Brooklyn. And they were out in force last night, a few hundred. And listen to what they were screaming. Burn the precinct to the ground. Every city, every town burned the precincts to the ground. I have a feeling that these uh, mostly young people there will not be calling 911 when they're being robbed or, God forbid, raped or brutalized. Yes, they will be calling 911. Uh, Or eventually when they mature. Anyway, on the line right now, Councilman uh, Bob Holden represents that area of Maspeth and Glendale. And, uh, well, it's an area yesterday in uh, Middle Village that actually had a group of marauders come through uh, as a result of the jury decision, I believe, uh, that took place in Kenosha. Am I correct on that, Bob? Uh, yes, uh, you are, Curtis. Uh, a lot of spoiled brats uh, came out to our district. Uh, I guess Mommy and Daddy didn't give them enough allowance. I don't know. but now, uh, describe, were... describe it for us, if you can. Well, they. I got a call, you know, an hour uh, I guess it was about eight o'clock, uh, and that the some some demonstrators. I, I don't know what they were demonstrating against, but they were they weren't even chanting, but they were marching toward our community because guess what? We are pro police. We support our cops. We want more cops. We want a good quality of life. We don't want crime, and so we're unusual in that way, I guess. So they're coming to send us a message. That and to destroy. They didn't come to protest, really. They weren't chanting like those other guys were doing in Brooklyn. They were just trying to destroy. They were jumping on car uh, roofs. They were graffitiing. And but the precinct responded in force. We had about 50 cops here. And guess what? They arrested five of the spoiled brats. And they caught. And they got them with weapons, hatchets, hammers, you name it. Now, uh, Bob, at that point, uh, they were arrested by the local precinct. But we've seen time and time again uh, that, unfortunately, 
the criminal justice, especially with the no bail laws, will just uh, it forces the local cops just to give them what I call disappearance tickets, a.k.a. desk appearance tickets to come back to court another day. Uh, did that happen in this situation? Yes, they got a felony E, which is the lowest, and uh, they just, uh, like you said, got the desk appearance. They have to go to court eventually, but again, what what can we expect under this New York, the New York State bail reform and so forth? They'll be uh, certainly able to walk with little or no penalty whatsoever. So they had dressed all in black. Uh, I'm assuming they had on the ski masks and the sunglasses and motorcycle helmets, what uh, typically that group has worn in the past when they go marauding through a neighborhood. Yeah, and this group, uh, they, they're called the Black Block, B-L-O-C, and they started in Europe, and then they came to Seattle, took over that town, and now uh, they're in New York City. And the way they work is they move very quickly through a neighborhood and destroy. That's all they do. They're anarchists, dressed all in black. Uh, about five or six came by my house. Luckily, the police headed them off. Uh, but they break up very quickly. There were about 50 originally, and then they break up. And they spread around, and they're tearing everything down. They're breaking things, and you name it, they're doing it in a community just because uh, we support our local police. Now, we support NYPD. And this, now, is, this is what's uh, happening in this city. Now, let's say in this case uh, you did get uh, fast police response, but let's say the cops uh, were not all that quick to respond. And let's say residents in Middle Village uh, had come out, let's say, armed with sticks or bats or anything they could get their hands on to protect their property. What might have happened to them, in fact, if there was a uh, full-scale confrontation of sorts? Well, again, that that would have been that would have escalated, and it would have turned out okay for them because this community was outraged. We have a number of protests that were targeted from outsiders. A lot of these, the ones arrested, aren't New Yorkers. Even they they come from all different areas. Nobody's from this community. Nobody was even from the borough that was arrested. So this, but again, we don't want, you know, I I was telling our local residents, don't get involved, let the police handle it. There are enough police. But like you said, if there weren't enough police, God help those, uh, those individuals that were trying to destroy and burn down our community. So Bob Holden, uh, just as a heads up for other communities, especially in the five boroughs or even in the suburbs, because the black block people are mobile, you know, they just don't stay stationary. One of, the, one of the things to look for specifically uh, when they gather up, because they're not going to be stopped just simply because five of their members got arrested. In fact, I anticipate those five members will be back in the group and ready to activate at a moment's notice. Exactly. And that's why we need very good intel by the police. And um, what was great, that the police gave us an hour heads up that this might happen. And so people were mobilized. I mean, I I did get a lot of calls from people wanting to go out. And I said, don't. We have enough police. But, again, some communities, they may do this quickly. And they're going to start fires. They're going to to, – they actually went after a local uh, woman who was coming home, a young woman, and and threw liquid out on her and – was harassing her, and this this was this is not they they weren't just innocents. Uh, let's say doing graffiti, or uh, just pulling down American flags. They were 
they would attack individuals if they caught a resident on the on the uh, block. And they they they, they called her racist. You know, they were saying racist things to her, uh, which I can't repeat on the air. Uh, but we just heard what what they said to her. And they were going to go after her. Luckily, the police came very quickly and, and, and rescued her. Now this you, is what we're facing in New York City under especially this mayor, Bill de Blasio. Yeah, now you attributed uh, some of this street activity uh, to the response of the mayor to the jury decision, the unanimous jury decision in Kenosha to exonerate uh, Rittenhouse of all charges. What exactly uh, did he tweet out? Because, you know, nowadays everybody just uh, reverts to sending a tweet out instead of having a general press conference in which you can hear from themselves from their own mouth. What was it that was so offensive that he was tweeting out? Well, he, he again, I'm not, I don't know verbatim what he said because I, I read it and I just, I'm disgusted. But essentially uh, he threw fuel on the fire saying that he was very unhappy that uh, that there's – systemic racism. It's still going on. It just had nothing to do with race, that, that case, but uh, apparently he thought it was, like many other elected officials. They th- threw fuel on the fire. You're, as a mayor, as a leader of, of a big city that's, uh, t- that, you know, is, is on the edge now with, with this decision, this verdict, you, you have to calm things. You want to, it's, it's in your best interest of your constituents, of the New Yorkers. You have to calm things down. What does he do? He's got a he's got a gasoline can, uh, De Blasio, and so many other electeds did the same. Irresponsible um, that that they would do such a thing. So I criticized the mayor. Uh, I said, "You don't do that. You calm things. You don't escalate." And we bore the brunt. Our community. I knew that would happen. If you incite these people, and they're, they they don't need much, but if you 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 see you uh, let's say the leader of the of New York City, the mayor has their backs of uh, these anarchists, they're going to even be more brazen. Well, right? we, saw, we saw just a week before uh, Mayor-elect Eric Adams had a sit-down with Hawk Newsom and members of his Black Lives Matter movement in Brooklyn Borough Hall. Afterwards, uh, Hawk Newsom came out and he said, well, if he's going to reinstate the anti-crime unit, the undercover unit into the police department— uh, we're going to burn down the city. We're going to riot. You know, we're going back to insurrection in the streets. And I noticed that few, if any, of your colleagues uh, gave any backup whatsoever to Eric Adams. I'm talking about people who generally stand with Eric Adams, fellow Democrats. What was that about? Yeah, and apparently these Democrats didn't learn anything but from the last election. So they're worried about a, a, a challenge from the left. Well, you better start worrying about a challenge from the right now because people are fed up. But, again, so irresponsible. I was very disappointed in my congresswoman, Grace Meng, who did the same. Um, she said, uh, you know, she, she tweeted out a number of things that weren't helpful. And that and she's not representing her constituents because um, we we believe in the rule of law and the, and the jury system. We believe in that. That's what we have. Um, and when if you don't agree with it, fine. You could you could say something you don't agree with the decision, but don't you know try to tear down the whole system and and then point to a number of cases that this you know in the past that didn't go your way or didn't go the way you wanted to go, but. This is something, you know, again, when something's volatile like this, you don't, again, you don't try to make it worse. But a lot of electives 
are just irresponsible, and I criticize, and I'll, uh, Grace Meng is a friend of mine, the congresswoman that represents this area, but her constituents are not happy now. Well, you know, you could uh, remind her the next time you see Grace. I've known her for years. Very nice woman. Uh, but I'm just looking at all the assemblymanic districts that voted uh, in the mayoral election, uh, and in her congressional district, uh, whether they were mostly white or mostly Asian, I won them. You might remind her that I don't think you want Curtis Lee moving into the area and running against you in this congressional district, do you? Nope, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and uh, again, uh, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that uh, challenge could come from the right very easily. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Bob Holden. Uh, when I heard of this in the wee hours of the morning, the black block, the anarchists, by the way, mostly white, have nothing to do with the color black, but they just dress up all in black. We're rampaging uh, through Middle Village, uh, a a community that is known for law and order and, as you mentioned, support for the police. And obviously the police did a great job. So thanks for giving me that update, Rob. Thanks, Curtis. Thanks so much. All right. And uh, I will tell you, it's amazing. It's like (laughs) you see the demonstrator. You, you, You see... This is the problem, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give my numbers out here. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. There were predictions that there would be mass insurrection in Kenosha. Oh, I would say most of the media and most of our listeners have never been to Kenosha. Tomorrow night, you can't miss it. I'm going to talk a lot about Kenosha. Uh, because uh, as the backdrop, as the theater for what transpired in the streets... After uh, the shooting uh, of the uh, suspect in the domestic situation, which had taken place on August 24th, if you remember Jacob Blake, that led to the rioting, the looting and shooting, the presence of Rittenhouse, the presence of militia members, the presence of Black Lives Matter, 90% of whom, all of them combined, were not from Kenosha, by the way, 90%. Uh, You need to know a little bit of the backdrop about the town of Kenosha that at one time was the second automobile capital in America, second only to Detroit. That's how many automobile plants uh, used to exist there uh, at its height. Uh, (laughs) Everybody's an expert. They're all experts. The media was saying, oh, there's going to be riots, looting. There wasn't even a demonstration last night. There were more media people than there were demonstrators either supporting Kyle Rittenhouse on the right or Black Lives Matter on the left. And then you had the loony kazoonies down at the Barclays Center talking about how they want to burn all precincts down in every town across America. What the hell did that have to do with the Rittenhouse jury decision and Black Bloc rampaging through Middle Village in Glendale? You see, people are just looking for an opportunity to take advantage of the situation. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Where's uh, my crown then if I'm the king? I'm in intense negotiation with the cat man now, John Katsimatidis. He wants to sign me up for a 30-year no-cut contract. And it's come down to the fact that I don't get in my contract what the JV member of the squad, Frankie Russo, gets. You'll have to be listening to Frankie Russo tonight, the other side of uh, midnight with the Looney Kazoonies from Parts Unknown, they call him. Although my wife, Nancy, uh, does find him to be very entertaining and says he's got great callers. 
Well, it's like any marriage. You disagree about a lot of things. Anyway, you'll have to check it out. Anyway, let's go to Linda, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Linda. Hey, Curtis. I'm sorry you lost, but I'm grateful to have you back on the radio. Well, thank you, Linda. Uh, I just think I take exception. We should not be looking at Kyle's mother, where she took him, or what kind of weapon, he legal weapon, he carried. What about looking at the parents of all those anarchists, people who are sending their kids to universities to become lunatics and participate in that? These were not victims. These were thugs. They got what they deserved. And if somebody's coming for my property or my loved ones, I want somebody like Kyle Wittenhouse standing right there with me. Yeah, yeah, Linda. Then you could have gone to Pudgy's with them there and hoisted a few. Come on, Linda. You can't even understand. The guy's out on a $2 million bail, right? The pillow guy, Lindell, put up part of it. And Ricky Schroeder, I thought he was dead. He put up the other part. And so the kid is sprung, and what does the mom do? She takes him to Pudgy's, this dive, this gin mill for hillbillies, outside of Racine, Wisconsin, between Racine and, <laughs> and Kenosha, where if you're 17, you could drink as long as your parent is there. That's right. You can't do that in Illinois. Oh, no. So he's knocking him back, and actually people are photobombing him. And somebody uh, kicks in with a Proud Boy song. They start making Proud Boy sing. It's like, what the hell are you? What would have happened, God forbid, if there was a fight in that gin mill? There are always fights in gin mills. And your son were involved in that, having nothing to do with Proud Boys or anything else. Or somebody uh, uh, got into a dispute and said, you're a killer. And maybe the kid objected. How stupid was that? <sighs> I cannot figure that one out for the life of me. Let's go to Carol calling from West New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Oh, Curtis, I'm I'm sorry that you lost, but I'm so glad you're back on the air. Guess what? I got my Back the Blue pin in the mail today. Oh, good, good. Wear it with pride. I'm definitely going to wear it, too. (laughs) Believe me. Um, You know, I I think that he should have been convicted on some kind of charges. I, I just, I don't agree with the fact that he totally got away with it. Written out, I'm talking about, of course. Well, remember, legally, Carol, uh, mistakes were made. The prosecutors, they wanted to go for the big charge. Uh, they didn't even introduce uh, lesser charges until the very end of the process. Uh, they were too late with that. Uh, normally, uh, if anything, you always introduce disorderly conduct because that's not even a misdemeanor. That's a violation. But you do something. Uh, if you didn't want somebody to escape on no charges whatsoever, uh, they um, they just went for the jugular. And they didn't get the jugular because their case uh, just did not hold up. Uh, it had more to do with the video than anything else. People now have an opportunity to look at videos that are taking of crime scenes from all different directions. You were able to see personal cell phone video uh, video if you were a jury member. We all ended up seeing it eventually when it was played for the general public. Then remember, you had the drone uh, that took video. Uh, The prosecutors gave a copy that was a poor copy 
uh, of the drone footage to the defense. The defense objected, rightfully so. They should have had the primary uh, video copy, uh, which put Rittenhouse in a much better light than the original copy did. But again, it came down to the jurors listening to all the evidence, listening to all the testimony, and the defense was the right to self-defense. Now, that varies from state to state, but remember, the kid went on the witness stand. Now, that's unusual throughout the rest of the country. Apparently, according to the annals of criminal justice uh, uh, circles, it's not at all uncommon in the state of Wisconsin that the accused will actually testify, whereas in New York, it's almost unheard of, New Jersey, unheard of, in most uh, uh, principalities, it is uh, unheard of. But I would like to see it more and more. I think it's incumbent that the accused get into that witness box and explain themselves. Look, it's a much better way, especially if it's a jury trial, for jurors to determine uh, the person's credibility, their ability to answer questions, especially under cross-examination. The prosecutors were not tossing softballs at Kyle Rittenhouse. He had to deal with some pretty tough questions. And I think when you look at it all in all, Kyle Rittenhouse is not the hero that he's being made to be by some of our colleagues here at WABC or the heel that he's being made to be on many other outlets in which they have vilified him as the second return of Satan, Satan and a racist who was out that night to shoot black people in the streets of Kenosha. Well, he obviously didn't target any black people because a jury of 12, his peers, determined that he was sane, sober, and legally using the AR-15, which was a legal weapon he had in his hands, in defense of himself. And so come to your own conclusions. That's what America is about, free speech. And I'll be talking about it more tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss left versus right. Chris Hahn versus yours, truly three to five. So nice they let me return that night at WABC, and we'll talk at eight. Not only about Kenosha itself, which few, if any, people have engaged in, but the problems with fentanyl and heroin in the streets, and now marijuana is being laced with fentanyl, and a lot of other drug issues that most talk radio programs avoid. But we'll get into nitty-gritty details, not just connecting the dots, but I'm sure some of you will be doing puff-puff pass when we discuss these issues.